All right, so we are in Genesis chapter 1. So um, you may have heard um, there's an election this week. Um, There's been some subtle news about it. Um, There's been some minor divisions across Texas and across Fort Worth. I think my favorite thing, as I've watched all the election stuff, is, is like the yard sign wars, like on different, different sides of the street, how there'll be a, a small sign here and so a small sign here, and then well, a bigger sign over here and a bigger sign, and then like the gargantuan sign here and the gargantuan sign here. That's, that's just been a, a joy to watch um, for me. We're not going to stay political today, but, but I just want to bring out this point um, that, that each of those sides of the street have found many reasons to oppose the other side. Um, and if we want to boil some of it down, not everything, but if we want to boil some of it down, a lot of the opposition deals with, I want to be careful with this, deals with valuing different aspects of humanity. Can I say that a lot of the opposition of the yard sign war deals with valuing different aspects of humanity. And it's not just something we see in politics. Again, this is not an election sermon. Um, across society, we see some people battling for gender equality. At the same time, other people are battling against gender definition. We see some people battling for racial unity, and, and the, the, the cause of others is for unborn babies' rights, and on and on and on we could go. There's so much division, and a lot of these issues, a lot of these battles land under the banner of, quote, social justice. And one of my hopes for today is, is that these verses help us reframe that banner. Social justice is, is not even the right category for many of these battles. And I want to submit to you there's a better and biblical lens to view issues like this through. Each of them is a fight to see every human as created in the image of God for the glory of God. That's the right banner to see these things. That's the right lens to see issues like these that have existed in all generations, in all, many, not all, some countries in the world can't even address these issues. So many countries of the world the right lens to see these things through is, is not a social justice lens. It's a fight to see every human is created in the image of God and for the glory of God. That's the banner that these issues and issues like it deserve to fall under. This autumn, if you haven't been with us, we're walking through as a church basic Christian doctrine. We're walking through the foundation of what we believe. And this is for, for believers and followers of Christ. It's for new believers to know what this thing is that you just decided or were called into. This is for skeptics as well. And we're doing this series through walking through questions and answers. And so we've walked through a few questions already. Today's question is going to be on the screen behind me. The question is this, how and why did God create us? How and why did God create us? And today we're going to see God's answer. We're going to see humans as created in the image of God for God's glory. And then we're going to see why a lot of these battles in our culture and battles in cultures before ours and frankly probably battles in culture after ours, why, why they matter. But the answer starts in, in the world's first ever culture, the Garden of Eden. And so will you look with me at a few of the last verses of Genesis 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Church, this is the word of the Lord. All right, here's where we're going. Here's the question and the answer in full. How and why did God create us? Here's the answer. God created us male and female in his image to know him, to love him, to live with him, to glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. That's our answer for today. You see some of the themes in these short verses that we've read. If you're not familiar with the first chapter of the Bible, it's, it's a biblical and, and lyrical account of how God created this terrestrial sphere that we call earth. Genesis 1 is primarily a celebration of God and his power because he crafted literally everything that exists out of literally nothing. Light, water, land, every, every, every celestial being, every animal over the face of the earth. We can't fathom such a thing. And if you know these chapters, you may recall at the end of each day, and we're not going to get into whether it's 24-hour periods or seasons, that's, that's beyond our scope today, but at the end of each day, what was God's declaration over that day's creation? It is good. God looked at it, and it was good. So today's verses drop us into day six of God's creation. Birds, livestock, creeping things, they exist, and they've been declared good. Heavens and seas and skies and land, they exist, and they've been declared good. But each of those things is not the same as one another, right? Birds are are distinct from fish. Land is distinct from water. Everything in God's creation has been declared good, and everything in God's creation has a place. And so I'm going to ask you to kind of tuck this away and and marinate on it with me for a little while. Everything that God created is good. Everything that God created is immensely valuable. And also, church, in, in the distinctions between created things, God is glorified. His creativity is put on display as he made things not all the same, but, but instead as he made things different. In the order of God's creation, God is sovereign and good. Every single intricate detail works together, and that's so much harder if everything is different than if, than if everything were to, to be the same. We saw something similar in, as we addressed the Trinity a few weeks ago. God exists in 100% unity within God's self and God's work, we said. And yet, the Father and Son and Spirit have distinct roles that they play within God's self and God's work. We get this picture through Genesis 1 that God is not glorified by uniformity. God is not glorified by by making everything cookie cutter the same. God God is not glorified by minimizing differences in how he created things. Instead, the opposite is true. God is glorified as we embrace the beautiful differences between things that he created and as those things work in perfect concert and unity to fulfill the unique purpose that God has for each unique thing that he created. Does that make sense? In other words, God 
God is most glorified when we acknowledge our differences and also break down the walls that are so common between those differences and instead come together as one. That's what's been happening from day one through five of creation. Light is different than dark, yes? And yet both work together for God's one good purpose. Water is different from land, yes? And yet both have an amazing and unique role to play in the sovereign good plan of God for his earth. Does this make sense? And God looks at each in its distinction and in the role that it has to play in his unified plan. And what does God say over each? It's good. It's good. So on day six, God's following the same pattern as he did on day one through five with one major distinction. All of creation is declared good. All of it works together in its distinctions and differences to perfectly glorify God. But what is true in verse 26 and 27 that is untrue of anything else in all of creation? What is it? Let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, God says to within the Godhead, within the Trinity. Mankind has a role in creation that is above everything else that God created. We saw in verse 28, fill the earth, subdue it. In other words, be God's stewards on the earth, rule the earth, represent the character of God to everything in it. And we have a role to, to reproduce here. There's a literal and, most theologians agree, a spiritual element to this. His charge is for us to carry out the mission of God by literally and spiritually making new disciples to fill the earth with His glory. Mankind has a unique role, but mankind does not just have a unique role. We're also given this unique identity in God's creation. There's only one way we can possibly carry out the charge that God has given us, and that is to remember that we are each made in the image of God. And I'm intentionally saying mankind because in our vein of theology, many have functionally distorted verse 27 and taken it overly literal, which says man is created in the image of God only, not women. And of course, they never say it like that. But, but in some circles, some families, some churches, they operate as if that's true. Genesis 2 is a more personal account we're going to zoom in for a sec on the, on the big, broad story in Genesis 1 and see that God would argue those who think or even subtly in, in their minds or subconsciouses function like that. Turn over a chapter to Genesis 2. Look at verse 18. We'll see a little bit of this in a second, but this is after God made Adam. The Lord God said, it is what? Not good that the man should be alone. So I will make a helper fit for him. What is true of all creation that is untrue of just Adam alone? What is true for all of creation that is untrue for just Adam alone? Cre creation is good, but when God made just Adam, creation is not good. It's the only time in all creation God declares something not good. Why? Because Adam alone is insufficient to show the full image of God. 
if you follow the pattern that God's established through Genesis 1, all creation is good. All creation glorifies God because God in every step of creation instilled into his earth balance and unique distinctions that come together and work together for God's glory. If, if it's just Adam, all of creation's out of balance. Adam, like day or moon or whatever else, needs an equal and opposite to restore the order and balance of God's universe. Adam needs a true complement. And man, in the Christian church, we botch the weight and beauty of the term helper. It's, it's, not, it's not a servant. It's not a, eh, I'll call you if I need something. That's, is that the image you get here? No. Adam needs Eve to be what he isn't. We joke with young church planters, like, by saying that God created us a helper is to acknowledge we desperately need help. Adam needs Eve to balance his weakness. Eve needs Adam to balance her weakness. Adam needs Eve because without an equal and opposite, mankind cannot display the image of a triune God. The whole world is out of balance. Creation is not good. Make sense? So again, half of today's question is how did God create us? And we're not trying to answer like, the how through like a scientific lens, like, well, he took this molecule and he combined, like, like we're, not, we're not doing that. The best answer we have, though, is from this praise song that is Genesis 2. How did God create man? Look at chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of the dust of ground, and I love this next phrase, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What's the most clear the Bible gives us, at least on how specifically man was created. How was woman created? Look down at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And, and then look at Adam's response. And again, like think, think of it in contrast to how we've kind of botched the idea of a helper. Look, look at Adam's response. This is poetry. This is a song. This is praise for God's work. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's very different than how people sometimes talk about it today. But the specific how is, is not the point in that line of thinking. Instead, in asking how did God create us, the answer is that he created us male and female. Both valuable, both necessary, not just desired, necessary. Each gifted, each vital, each beautiful, each distinct, both in God's image and as one in God's triune image together, both and each for God's glory. And also, how did God create us? Just like the rest of creation, there's order and balance and differences between us. So play it out in any other day of creation. Light is not darkness. But biologically, chemically, with tides and sleep and innumerable other realms, both are beautiful and both are necessary. 
If one tried to be the other, if light tried to become darkness, or darkness tried to become light, it would lead to global chaos. At the same time, if either light or darkness denied the value and need for the other, it would also lead to global chaos. Similarly, God created us male and female. Females are not males, males are not females, but both are beautiful and necessary. We can't deny the differences, but we also can't devalue or reject the beauty and vital place that the other has. Either would deny God's created order. So part, so part of what we're doing in this series is asking why, why does doctrine matter? And in part, there's other reasons this matters, of course, but in part, God's created order, everything we see in Genesis 1, uh, 1 everything we see in days 1 through 5 of creation, God's created order shapes a view of God's value for both women and for men. And thus, it shapes a value of God's view on sexuality and gender. Hear this, in, in most of life and society and relationships with men, w- women, you, you are and deserve to be equal, made in the image of God in most society, most life, most relationships. There is not a distinction. Different wages, abuse, male dominance, even when it's paraded around in the church under a distorted banner of complementarianism, has no place because it distorts the image of God and reflects the imbalance of creation that led God to say, this is not good. At the same time, there are two realms of life that God has charged men to take the lead as part of the unique balance and distinct roles between male and female. And those two realms, and these two realms alone, are the nuclear family and the church family. And I will tell you that is too big of a topic to cover in full today, but if you will follow me on it, it is not an overstatement to say that we lose our very humanity if men and women try to become the same. We mar the image of God if we deny the beautiful differences and distinctions between men and women. We disallow God's sovereign goodness when we blur the lines. But even if that's true, it has been the bent of both men and women to try to do that since Genesis 3. Some of you may know this, Adam abdicated his role of steward over Eve and Eden, abdicated his role as obedient son of God by standing by as Eve ate the first fruit, the one fruit that God forbade. Since that day, it seems like every man throughout all of history has a tendency to deny his role as a steward, as a leader, or in response to that, or maybe as an overcorrection against that, distorts his authority and tries to dominate, has a bent toward dominating over women. And in disciplining Eve, God says, your desire shall be for your husband. That's what's commonly read. The the literal translation is, you will desire your husband's role, or alternatively, some Bibles translate it, your desire will be contrary to your husband. Here's the point. 
both Adam and Eve, and it seems like every man and woman since their sin has a tendency to either, I'm going to say this overly black and white, but for the sake of today, either distort the beauty of God's created order, which is to say unbiblically overdo it, or to deny the beauty of God's created order, which is to say unbiblically undervalue it. That make sense? It seems like most men and women have a tendency to, to either distort or bibli- unbiblically, unbiblically overdo God's created order or to deny and undervalue God's created order. Here's, here's a few examples. When men treat any woman like dirt or toys for their pleasure, whether that's actual physical, whether that's on a screen, or whether it's just fantasies in a mind, we distort and unbiblically overdo God's created order. And when men shirk our responsibility to provide for our family, and just for the record, provision is not just, or or at times maybe even primarily, a money thing. It's physical provision, it's spiritual provision, it's emotional provision, it's being present and creating a place in the home where your family thrives and, 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 and goodness is fostered and where the gifts within your family is being brought out. When men shirk our responsibility to provide that for our family, we don't distort God's creation, we deny God's created order. We abdicate our responsibilities like Adam does. When women desire the one role in the home or church that God reserves for men, leader of the household or elder in a church, you deny God's created order. And when women are kept from using your God-given gifts, whether at home or in the church, in the name of complementarianism or headship, we've distorted God's created order. To be clear, I think there's a spectrum of, this is not a word, but biblical allowability in each household. Each couple's different, everybody has some different convictions, but but those are common ways that that God's created order gets either distorted or, or, or denied. And a grave danger, church, is when we make our preference the one godly point on the spectrum and define everybody else's as sin. I think to go to either end of the spectrum is sin. Hear me on that. But if we decide that because this is how we operate in our household, therefore it's the only way and everybody else is sin, I, I don't I think it's dangerous. Even as one example, look through, through a lot of U.S. history, there's been a lot more like hands-on, in-the-same-room togetherness and unity in couples and churches than there has been for the last hundred years. Here, here's what I mean. Like one, one picture of it is that, that husbands and wives through most of U.S. history, most of global history, frankly, men, men and women, husbands and wives have both been involved in work and providing because most of history is agrarian, and so the, the line between work and home is very, very gray. So, so, so a fight for the image of God might have us reclaim a oneness and unity in providing for our families, where dad is just as involved with raising kids, and mom may be just as involved in a family business. Both men and women have roles to play in both throughout most of history. That's been especially lost in the suburban southern U.S. In the Bible, we see women serving in local churches in nearly every, every way that men do. 
except for the two roles that God overtly reserves for his male-only elders, which are the two roles are overseeing and teaching from 1 Timothy 2. Some theologians even combine that into one role where it's the oversight of the teaching. That's that's what's reserved for male-only elders. And so a fight for the image of God might have a local church raise up the gifts and, and, and areas of service for, for non-elder men and for women. In the Old Testament and New Testament, men and women are both celebrated amongst God's people for serving and sharing in God's work. Men and women are called deacons. Men and women lead music and pray and exhort and, and counsel both men and women. They counsel in mixed company. They prophesy in, in some form. Yes, they even teach. And those are just like the clear non-debated areas of ministry and mission that both women and non-elder men play in. And so I often, frankly, this is just me, wonder if, if some of the divisions that have split the church that have been labeled gender issues would be a lot simpler if, if the divide was what, what is reserved for elders and what can everybody else do? And on and on we could go. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. And, and, and here's all I'm saying. One, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created both men and women in his image with equal value, equal necessity, and equal purpose and also with beautiful differences and distinctions to balance one another out, just like he did with the rest of creation. And two, since Genesis 3, men and women have at least subconsciously, if not overtly, tried to distort and deny those differences to the point of great pain and harm and division in the world and in the church. And so bottom line, again, just like the Trinity in whose image we are created, men and women are equal in value and purpose. Men and women are are distinct in the roles that we play in God's unified and sovereign and good work. How did God create us? He created us male and female, equal in value and worth, beautifully distinct and pursuing unity in Christ as we all together submit to God's will in his image for his glory. There's lots and lots and lots more that could be said on this, but but I hope that that at least is is clarifying, maybe convicting for some of us, eye-opening in some way. And we're short on time, and so I want to look at the, the second second half of today's question, if that's how God created us, male and female, in his image for his glory, then why did God create us? Why did God create us? I want to leave a lot of these next verses for next week as we look at non-human creation. But I want to go back to Genesis 1 and simply show you three postures in Adam and Eve toward everything around them, okay? Three postures in Genesis 1 of Adam and Eve toward everything around them. Here's the first posture. These three will be on the screen behind me. The first posture that Adam and Eve have had is that God gave them authority, not as a king and queen over the earth, but as a steward of the one true king. Genesis 1, verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
Who is it that God gave authority over the world, church? Adam and Eve. Us. God's people created in His image. And so in our lives and in the words that we speak and in the care that we show and in the heart for the rest of God's creation, the heart that we have for the rest of God's creation, we either rightly represent God to the world around us or again, we distort and deny His image. And so it's a question that that a lot of us, especially in Texas, don't think about. What does it look like to steward the literal world? What does it look like to be God's steward over the earth? And we'll save that for next week. Maybe for today, a bigger question is, how do you view, view the people that God has put on the earth? Do, do we kind of look at others and we stay kind of distant and aloof? Is it, is it every man or woman for him, his, or, or, or herself? No, God, God created us to be his representatives. To, to display his character and will to the men and women around us, whether they're Christians or not. And it leads us to the second posture that we have is that God calls us to intentionality. Think about this with me. Being fruitful, filling the earth, subduing it, ruling and leading God's creation. Th- those, are, those commands are given to both Adam and Eve for the record. None of those are things we just kind of naturally drift toward. They all take some level of intentionality. And, and so how intentional are we to know and obey God? How intentional are we to seek and, and carry out His will? Especially as it relates to other people on the earth. How intentional are we with trying to display his image and his glory to the other men and women on the earth. This is why I don't think social justice is the right banner for many of today's battles. Church, if, if, if every person, if male and female are made in the image of God, then what males and females does that apply to? Just Adam and Eve? J- just those of us who follow Jesus? If males and females are created in the image of God, what males and females does that apply to? Every male and female, regardless of race, regardless of biological sex, regardless of nationality, regardless of legal status, and on and on and on we could go. Church, verses like these are the reasons Christians care how refugees and immigrants are treated and how unborn babies are treated, and how widows and orphans are treated. Verses and truths like these, church, are the reasons that Christians care about the definition of manhood and womanhood and gender and sexuality. Modern rallies and and hashtags and protests are unbiblical, but hear me, only because they stop at a humanitarian cause rather than going fully into the heart of God. That make sense? Here's what I mean by that. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a better reason to care than just a humanitarian cause. 
And if it's just humanitarian, if it's just social, if it's just human rights, we stop short because we're considering it a horizontal thing rather than seeing it as a fight to value every man, woman, and child as a beautiful person created in the image of God. And so Black Lives Matter is not just an argument against the U.S.'s deplorable historical view of African Americans. If you're a Christian, it means more than that. And hashtag me too is not just a stance against the modern terrible degradation of women. If you're a Christian, it means more than that. These are not social justice issues. They're not even human rights issues. Every one of them, and looking back through history, every one that every decade has raised to the, to the height of awareness and every one going forward that'll come into new awareness, every one of these is more because everyone is an issue of God's design and God's value and God's sovereign and good plan for humanity. Every one of them biblically is a fight to see every male and female made in the image of God for the glory of God. And no one naturally drifts there. Think of the divisions in the Bible, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, rich, poor, slave, free. Every other division you see in the Bible absolutely is the natural result of dividing walls. The differences between people that put walls around us. Breaking down those walls and pursuing unity only happens as a result of long, sometimes painful, incredibly diligent intentionality. So how intentional are we with reclaiming the Imago Dei, the image of God? especially for the devalued and those who can't fight for themselves? How intentional are we in pursuing the, the missio day, the mission of God? Displaying and declaring that there's a better way. Displaying and declaring that there's a better view of humanity. Displaying and declaring that there's a savior to the world around us that is better than rallies and hashtags and humanitarian protests. That's the mission of God. That's not social justice that is spiritually filling the earth with the image and glory of God. And that brings us to our third posture, because that is a big thing to try to tackle. God reminds Adam and Eve of their dependence on him, even as they carry out their stewardship, even as they carry out with intentionality the missio dei, the mission of God to the world around them. Look at 29. Genesis 1, 29, God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And to tie off the chapter, God saw everything that he had made and behold, what is it now, church? It was very good. And there was evening and it was morning and it was the sixth day and then God rested because his work was complete. 
as you do my will, Adam and Eve, and all of your progeny through the generations and across the earth, I alone, says God, will keep you alive. I alone can feed you and nourish you. I alone can provide what you need for your daily bread. I alone will lead you as you do my will. And church, just like Adam and Eve need, needed God to keep them physically alive, so also did Adam and Eve and we today need God to keep us spiritually alive because we can't do these things on our own. We will never drift toward them. For some of us, everything in us wants to buck and fight against them. But Adam and Eve's posture is still ours today as we live in the image of God, as we live for the glory of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a man or woman whose life is marked by authority, intentionality, and dependence. And that's a good thing. How were we created? Male and female in the image of God for the glory of God. Why were we created? Back to the catechism, to know him, to love him, to live with him, to glorify him. Both Adam and Eve, man and woman, walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden. God loved both Adam and Eve, man and woman, enough to spend time with them, to dwell with them, to care for them, as both Adam and Eve, both man and woman, lived out God's purpose for them in Genesis 1 and 2. And then, when Adam and Eve, man and woman, both sinned against God in Genesis 3, God pursued them, and he covered them both in the blood of a slaughtered sacrifice. And then a little over 2,000 years ago, God the Father sent his own son into the world where division and brokenness seemed to reign like it does today far more than unity and purpose. And Jesus obeyed God more than Adam and Eve ever could. And Jesus became the final sacrifice, the perfect one in every way who was slaughtered to cover all the sins of not just one man or woman but every man and woman on all the earth for all of history. Through his life and his ministry, Jesus raised society's view of women and redeemed a distorted view of true and godly and responsible manhood. And after his sacrificial death, Jesus was raised to promise every man and woman from every tribe and tongue and nation who would believe in him eternal glory where every wrong would be made right and every dividing wall would be broken down and every relationship would be restored, not just between mankind who's living in the broken image of God, but, but Jesus also restored our broken relationship with God himself so that we, like Adam and Eve, can walk and talk with God, so that we, like Adam and Eve, can know and love and live with God and glorify him forever and ever. And City Church, we get to be part of that now. We get to be part of stewarding God's creation and living with dependent intentionality now. Even if it's just a small glimpse, and even if it's just sometimes, and even though we feel like we fail more than we, quote, succeed, our current life can be in this earth a foretaste of eternal life in the new heavens and new earth.
We can only find this if we acknowledge that by our nature, we'll never even pursue it. We'll always drift into sin and brokenness and division. But every Christian, both man and woman, has the Spirit of God, sent by God the Son, who fulfilled the will of God the Father, living within us to carry out God's will for us, maybe even despite us. We each reflect the three parts of one God, unified in purpose but distinct in role, living out the image of God and the mission of God in us and through us. I know we've gone long today. This topic is foundational to Christian doctrine. This topic is foundational to Christian life together. It's foundational to Christian witness in the world around us, and frankly, it's not addressed head-on very often or very well. So thanks for hanging in with me. As we consider this truth and why it matters, as you're sent out to ask these questions and to continue these conversations this week, will you answer this question for me as I ask it? It'll be on the screen. City Church, how and why did God create us? Male and female, in his own image. To know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who are created by God should live to his glory. And all God's people said, Father God, left to our own devices, we will never do that. <laughs> left to our own devices, we will live for our glory. Left to our own devices, we will live for the glory of another. Left to our own devices, we will distort or deny the image that you've created us in. So we thank you for not leaving us to our own devices. We thank you that you created us with such an unfathomable purpose, and then you give us everything needed for life and godliness to carry it out. We thank you that you sent your Son to do what we could never do. We thank you for sending your spirit to daily continue to do in us what we could never do. Spirit, I pray that you would guide our conversations this week. That you would keep us sober-minded. That you would keep us balanced. That you would help us reflect your image and your character. And if we're walking out of here a little angry, walking out of here a little convicted, walking out of here a little free, would you be our God no matter what? It's in Jesus' name for his glory alone. Amen. Right, so we respond every week in, in, in a few different ways, um, and all of these are acts of worship. Um,